All right, folks, Armin Hammer here. Not too long ago, I got back from CrossFit's 10-year affiliate gathering, which was in Whistler, Canada. It was beautiful up there. It was pretty wild. But the the location isn't really important here. The thing is, this was a group of 10-plus-year affiliates, of which there are maybe 800 or so worldwide. Maybe 150 to 180 of them made it to Whistler for the 10-year affiliate gathering. And I put out a video, uh, kind of like a behind the scenes look. I did an interview with Greg Glassman while I was there just to kind of document what was going on. And really the keystone of the entire weekend was this talk that Greg Glassman gave to the gathered affiliate owners and the people with them, their families and stuff like that about what HQ has been up to. And if you have seen any of my interviews with Greg Glassman, or if you've heard anything that he's been talking about over the past year, year and a half, even longer than that, it really isn't new information. It was kind of like this recap of CrossFit's uh, legal battles with uh, NSCA and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Um, you know, the the health problems they're facing, um, you know, people in Western civilization and how CrossFit can positively affect those things. Um, you know, where CrossFit is trying to, to move in terms of its focus and things like I, you've seen all this, right? The website's changed. We've talked about it a million times. You kind of know what's going on here. But what's interesting is that now, you know, a week, maybe two weeks removed, we're starting to see a little bit more reaction from, you know, people who were there and other members of the community. And so this is going to be a look at two different articles that have come out um, recently over the past like few days. The first is from Emily Beers, who was a staff writer for CrossFit Media for for uh, quite some time. She uh, was a CrossFit Games athlete in 2014, um, and she wrote this article titled Five Ways That CrossFit May Never Get Fixed. And in response to that article... Russ Green wrote an article on Medium just to kind of take a shot at that or take a look at what she was talking about. So we're going to we're going to go through both of these articles. I'm going to read through them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to see what's going on here. All right. So let's start with the five ways that CrossFit may never get fixed. Emily Beers here. She's writing in Breaking Muscle. She says, full disclosure, I am and will forever be appreciative for what CrossFit and Greg Glassman personally have done for my life. They instilled in me a lifelong commitment to fitness and helped me achieve the biggest athletic accomplishment of my life in 2014 when I qualified to the CrossFit Games. I was also fortunate to work for CrossFit Media for eight years. Wow. Greg Glassman hired me as a full-time writer personally, and I am thankful for all the experiences it provided me. All right, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty decent experience with CrossFit. I mean, you've seen it in that capacity, you've seen every bit that CrossFit has to offer, from working for them to being a trainer to being at the CrossFit Games. You've seen every little bit that CrossFit has got going on. She continues. I was in Whistler, British Columbia recently for the 10 plus year CrossFit affiliate gathering, an invite only event for those who have been affiliated a decade or more. A friend asked me how I went and I said, um, it felt a bit like attending a friend's wedding vow renewal where all the guests are thinking, why are we even here? Where there has been infidelity for the past 10 years, but nobody's talking about it. 
But then they put out an amazing spread with endless crab claws, smoked salmon, and prime rib, an excessive open bar, and a chocolate fountain, and everyone collectively shrugs. Fuck it, let's drink. Glassman rules the roost. Greg Glassman, CrossFit's founder, owner, and operator, delivered a lengthy speech at the event. He focused on CrossFit's emphasis on general health over the past focus on elite athletes and on how coaches and affiliate owners have a unique possession of an elegant solution to the world's greatest problem. Now, that's a that's a, a very common phrase that, uh, well, it's an uncommon phrase, but Greg Glassman uses it often. It's something that he's really proud of, I think, this idea that CrossFit affiliate owners and trainers are in unique possession of an elegant solution to the world's greatest problem, specifically referring to uh, like obesity epidemic, the metabolic conditions, um, and the efficacy of you know, healthy nutrition, a good community, and exercise to fix those things, which CrossFit affiliates tend to provide in abundance to their members. Uh, He repeated the latter phrase multiple times during his address, and he also spent a great deal of time talking about his opposition to and fight with the NSCA, the ACSM, the evils of Gatorade, hyponatremia, and the nephrologists he loves. What was not addressed were the very real problems CrossFit affiliate owners and coaches face today, problems which have led countless affiliates to move away from the CrossFit brand and de-affiliate or close their doors entirely. And this is absolutely a good point, uh, what she's referring to here in terms of the, the fact that a lot of affiliate owners, many affiliate owners that I speak to, usually one of the first questions they ask me is if, is if I think that the name is still valuable for them. And I have some thoughts on that. Um, I, I do think that the, the name is still valuable in terms of being a CrossFit affiliate. Uh, but for sure, there are a lot of CrossFit gyms from when I had my CrossFit gym between 2011, 2015 that just aren't around anymore. And there really isn't any transparency into the affiliate numbers other than one grand total that's sort of like paraded out somewhere around 15,000, right? So we don't really know what the churn is. There obviously isn't the same 15,000 affiliates that were around now as were back then. And if the churn is massive, if there's a whole huge amount of affiliates that are closing and then being replaced by newer affiliates that are opening up, it might be worth looking into why there is that churn. So that's a really that's a that's an interesting question that that she's bringing up here. On the other hand, perhaps expecting Glassman to address these problems was a foolish expectation to begin with. After all, nobody has been forced into affiliate ownership, nor have we been promised untold riches. We have never even been promised marketing or business advice from CrossFit HQ. If they did address the problems their gyms are facing, they might run into franchise questions that would open up a whole legal can of whoop-ass on them. Still, I suppose myself and other attendees thought there might be a chance for a transparent conversation about the tarnished brand, especially if CrossFit HQ wants us to keep our affiliation. I suppose the question and answer session at the end of Glassman's address might have been the time, but most asked trivial questions like, why are we in Canada? And others sucked up to the leader. I am so-and-so from such-and-such CrossFit in South Carolina, and I've been loving my life every single day for the past 10 years. A few brave souls, however, did try to get real with him. And this brings me to the countdown of five reasons CrossFit may never get fixed. Okay, 
Uh, I do remember the question and answer session. I felt like that went on a little bit long. Many of those things just didn't need to be Q and A'd in public. Honestly, they could have like kind of done it in like a, a private forum, like people lining up or something to ask him a question. But uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a good point. Client retention. So the the five problems. So the whole thing was five ways CrossFit may never get fixed. Number five, client retention. One coach asked Glassman. How do we get clients back who maybe tried CrossFit back in the day and left? Talking to this coach after, he was alluding to two very big problems in the industry. First, the vast majority of people, some of whom tried CrossFit for a while, have a negative opinion of the CrossFit brand. So even if coaching and programming have improved a ton in the last 10 years, and even if the emphasis has shifted from intensity to health and longevity at many affiliates, the world doesn't know this, so they're staying away from joining a CrossFit gym. And the second one is client retention. There's a serious client retention problem in the industry, and I challenge anyone to prove me otherwise. Why else are gyms who have been around for 10 plus years still in need of massive marketing campaigns to bring in an influx of new clients via cheap six-week challenge? I know there exist a few gyms out there who have a a waiting list to join because they're at capacity, but those gyms are few and far between. Glassman's response to this question, I'm paraphrasing here, was to shrug and say he personally never had a client retention problem, so he didn't know how to fix this because it was never an issue for him. Um, all right, so the client retention problem, she kind of breaks it down into two things. First off, that people in general have a negative opinion of CrossFit as a brand, as kind of like a fitness method, right? Uh, and even if CrossFit has changed its emphasis from, you know, the rah-rah, we're going to the CrossFit Games focus to something more along the lines of like health and longevity, the world doesn't know that because there isn't any media marketing around CrossFit specifically. The second part of this that she brings up is client retention, that gyms in this space have a hard time keeping clientele and therefore have to run Things like massive marketing campaigns to bring an influx of new clients via cheap six-week challenges. And uh, in my experience in at my gym, uh, we never really emphasized the CrossFit Games. Um, we definitely all participated in the Open, and I encouraged a lot of members, whoever was interested in this thing, to like go to regionals and the Games because was, it was in our backyard at that point. Um, it was in LA, our gym was in LA and, you know, I think the negative opinion of CrossFit as a brand is like definitely a vibe that's out there. I think people see like kipping pull-ups, uh, and you know, fail videos and, you know, poor deadlift form on like a max or something or someone getting hurt and they automatically assume that, you know, CrossFit is CrossFit is CrossFit and those things are examples of the greater whole. Now, I wonder if that's like a fair reaction. I don't mean that in like an existential sense, like is it fair to judge a whole group of things on just one small thing? I mean that in the sense like I'm not sure if there are other industries or spaces where that necessarily happens. Although in a way, I guess it does make sense, except like in franchise situations, it makes sense. If you have a bad experience at a fast food chain, you're not going to swear off all fast food. Probably you're going to swear off that chain. You're, if you have like 
a bad taco at a taco place and it you know gives you food poisoning you're probably just not going to go back to that taco place or other franchises of that taco place you're not going to swear off burgers and subway sandwiches and you know i don't know whether fast food place fried chicken places right you're not going to swear off all fast food you're just going to swear off that specific chain and i think that might be one of the issues that crossfit runs into is that people don't necessarily understand that different gyms are like completely different businesses they just kind of offer different flavors of crossfit it's like going to um you know a a plumber not every plumber is going to be the same plumber like some plumbers are going to be better plumbers than other plumbers uh you know i'm not sure if that's like a perfect comparison but it's you know it you get what i'm saying here right and then the client retention thing is is a great great point uh i i know that churn is huge at crossfit gyms um it's it's really really tough to keep the same people forever and in a way it's not really built to do that because after the first like year or two years or even three years of doing crossfit you kind of got a lot of it down like you've you've figured it out and it's become a part of your physical practice right so it kind of is built in that you graduate out of the program but she's not referring to people who graduate out of the program i feel like i feel like she's referring to people who kind of get a bad taste of it and therefore are out of it and are like you know what fuck this crossfit thing i hurt my shoulder doing pull-ups there and you know it's all really bad for you um that's a that's a really good point although again i just i don't know exactly what the solution is to that uh and i definitely don't know what the solution is to that from like a top-down situation like what she mentioned um you know as in terms of a problem with crossfit as a whole and then in reference to crossfit inc being able to solve these problems she talked earlier about the whole issue of crossfit can't necessarily put a lot more emphasis on you know controlling what affiliates do at that level because it is uh you know kind of stepping toes on like a franchise agreement and there might be some legal uh, issues there right crossfit may be legally unable to add in more controls to crossfit affiliates and what goes on in affiliates but i also can definitely tell you that from like a philosophical perspective the affiliate model has specifically been created to not be the franchise model and if you've heard the phrase like the cream will rise to the top in reference to the affiliates that's direct from greg glassman that is direct from the man himself basically saying you know what the best affiliates are going to survive and the bad ones aren't for whatever reason and sometimes you know unfortunately the the bad affiliates not surviving actually has nothing to do with the affiliate owners it might have to do with the market it might have to do with a, another competing affiliate opening down the street and competing and uh you know taking members or whatever there's a whole bunch of different reasons Let, let's go to move on and talk about that forever uh number four how do we stop the get fit cheaply approach that is ruining the industry another guy asked glassman what to do if you're having problems with other affiliates in your area i would argue this is likely due to an oversaturation of crossfit gyms which led to a race to the bottom approach to fitness leading gyms to offer free weeks free months groupons cheap six-week challenges 
or even to poach each other's clients. She brings up this cheap six week challenge thing multiple times. It's like, I feel like she's had a bad experience with these and I do not, I, I, I don't blame her for it because in my experience, gyms that offer Groupons, gyms that offer, you know, cheap six, six week challenges as ways to like gain new members. They're just literally living off the backs of those sales. And that is a, that is a brutal and savage way to just eat yourself and just destroy your business. Um, or even to poach each other's clients, like what I said earlier. I have heard dozens of stories of all the above in the last eight years. Glassman's response to this guy, I don't know why that would be the case. I don't know why you don't get along. Hmm. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, fair enough. I don't think he would. Um, although I, I definitely know that this this idea of, of CrossFit gyms being able to open like right down the street from another CrossFit gym is something that is like super annoying, super, super annoying. And I, I will never expect HQ to put in controls for that. It just is not in CrossFit's there. It's just not in their ethos to try and control for something like that. But it is absolutely a brutal, brutal situation when a gym just opens like on your 400 meter run, like on the same block or in the same, uh, in the same shopping center or whatever. Um, but the idea of like the get fit cheaply thing, um, you know, race to the bottom in terms of pricing. One of the things that, that we always worried about was what happens when the globo gyms start offering CrossFit, um, you know, like CrossFit based style stuff, right? The group training, the functional fitness, the, the barbells. And, uh, I'm not sure that that has really changed how much business there is for affiliates. Uh, you know, again, the issue that you run into is that people have a taste of it and then they assume it's the same everywhere. That I think is a point of communication that needs to be changed. But how do you, how do you educate the greater public on the affiliate model? It's like, that's like a really strange problem and it's like an even stranger uh you know hurdle to to get over right it's just a hard thing to figure out um number three are we really professionals glassman referred to the owners and coaches he spoke to in whistler as professionals a handful of times on the weekend never once did he provide any insight as to what he meant by the word professional Currently, it's nearly impossible to make a decent salary as a CrossFit coach. I speak with gym owners regularly who have been paying themselves a barely living wage in the neighborhood of $40,000 a year for seven plus years. Also, professionals generally don't have another full-time job. Yet on the weekend, I met many gym owners who have other full-time jobs outside of the gym and then work a traditional, I'm sorry, then work an additional 40 plus hours a week at their gym. Is this really what being a fitness professional means? In short, most of us are not professionals. Some of us might be, and if you are, good for you. But the vast majority of affiliate owners and coaches are not. While I think everyone there on the weekend was on board with the CrossFit health thing, it's hard to offer a, quote, elegant solution to the world's greatest problem, as Glassman kept suggesting, when you're working on what I would argue is a broken business model. That is, that's a damn interesting observation for a couple of reasons, but mainly because it is absolutely a good point, right? The, the idea of being a professional, it kind of, kind of insinuates that you're paid a professional wage or make a professional wage. And I don't know, 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not in every gym. I don't know how many gyms there are around the world who offer professional wages for their coaches. It feels like a lot of coaches are part-time or have a handful of uh, uh, classes here and there, but like who's getting benefits, who has a 401k, right? Out of, out of being a CrossFit coach. And I know a handful of gyms do offer those types of benefits for their coaches. And I think that's a, that's a huge thing. When every time I hear that, I feel for the gym owners, I feel really excited for the coaches. I feel, um, you know, really impressed that they're, they're able to pull that off because I know how expensive that can be. Um, especially depending on, on what part of the country and what part of the world they're in to, to try and offer that sort of thing. Um, and I, I, I think to sort of play the devil's advocate on this one, the, are we really professionals question is a fair question, but I think in terms of the profession versus like, uh, a, a salesman, I think is, is, is maybe the, the angle that they're talking about. Um, you know, the, the idea of being a professional in the sense of, you know, an accountant or a plumber, um, you know, or a painter, something like that, that is the professional that is being referred to. Now the, the industry not necessarily supporting a full livable wage. That's, I'm not sure if it doesn't because she even brings up this point that it's the it's a broken business model and that's something that i ran into in la like my gym was in la it was in a retail space our overhead was incredibly expensive um and yet we were able to make it work you know as well as we could have and the fact was like we couldn't really rely on the same model that greg glassman was sort of espousing early on. It was like, open your doors, charge people 150 bucks a month to show up and they work out and you're good to go. Well, that was kind of like an old idea. And the base of that idea was to do personal training in between, right? To have personal clients, have one-on-one clients, right? The group training classes were not supposed to be your only form of income. And I think, I think sometimes that gets lost in translation. People just sort of focus on just open the doors and get yourself going and, and get a, a, a 150 bucks a month or whatever the charges per month and just fill your gym up and then you're good to go. And that I think kind of takes away from the, uh, it, it takes away from actually your, your potential earnings because you're really just utilizing your space for a handful of hours a day, there's many, many more times during the day in which you could be making money. And, you know, it's not necessarily about selling shoes or supplements, which, you know, you probably should be having some sort of like a merchandise or something like that, but it should also be about continuing the training and maybe in a one-on-one situation. So I, I, I get it. I get it that the, the business model it can be kind of sparse. It, it can definitely be sparse. Uh, you know, if you're just relying on opening your doors and, and charging a flat fee for everyone that walks in, I think it's going to, you're going to have a bad time. You're probably going to have a bad time. Uh, number two, overworked without full-time coaches. Just spoke about this. I spoke with a handful of friends who have been affiliate owners for 10 plus years, but who couldn't make it to the gathering in Whistler because they could either couldn't afford to get away or couldn't take time off because they didn't have coaches to fill in for them. Similarly, I met a handful of owners on the weekend who admitted they didn't have a single full-time coach. Whoa. One dude from Atlanta told me he had 
18 part-time coaches and it's common for him to put in 12 hour days at the gym after 10 years of being an affiliate. This ties into the above point because coaches aren't able to make a professional wage coaching group classes working for an hourly wage, aka a broken business model. That's that's a good way of describing that. Having full-time coaches is rarer than it should be at affiliates around the world and coach retention is nearly as dire as client retention. Yowza. 18 part-time coaches. Uh that's that's brutal. Um one of the things that I know because of my experience as an affiliate owner is that it is not a business that is going to support like, you know, most gyms, let's put it that way, is are not businesses that are going to support a staff of like 15 people. You probably are going to be able to support like three at like a good, like successful CrossFit gym, you'll probably be able to support three or four full-time people. Um, and that is a lot. I mean, in terms of, in terms of what that costs for a business owner to pay out for three or four full-time people, probably including themselves, that's very expensive. Um, but it is doable. I think it's possible. I think the tough part is, and we ran into this again when we were running into a, a lot of issues that we had at our gym. Um, the the big issue here is that it's really difficult to create full-time coaches because people need to get paid in order to live. And generally speaking, you're not going to be paying a starting coach. You have to, you have to coach them up in order so that, you know, they don't suck and that they can actually do the job. And so unless you're offering like paid internships and then training you know, college students and they kind of like intern and, and coach and, and then they start like assistant coaching and watching and shadowing and then suddenly they're like ready to coach and then they graduate and you're like, hey man, I can offer you 25 bucks a class or whatever it is in order for, that's not going to be the case. Our gym, like every other gym that I've known, um, was mostly coached either by the owners or by part-time coaches. Now, you can be selective with who your part-time coaches are, or you can be very, very obviously open with who your part-time coaches are. And depending on your needs and the environment you're in, that those things can change. Uh, those things can change, right? So having 18 part-time coaches, that seems like a lot of part-time coaches to me. That seems like each one of them is probably coaching a couple of classes, a few classes a week. That's too many, right? That is that is too many. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how it's possible that that's the case, um, but it does seem like that's too many. Having no other coaches, that's also not feasible, right? Because you can't coach like your 5 a.m. class as well as every class between it and like your 7 p.m. class and still expect to have like a functioning brain by the time the next day rolls over, much less a, a social life or a family anything like that. Right. So I think there's like a, there's, there's a common ground. A lot of Philly owns run into is that like either they're coaching the majority of the classes or their classes are being coached by people that they kind of coach up in their gym. And that's something that we had. We had a development program for people who are interested in being coaches. We met, you know, regularly, we had them shadow coaches. They had their own sort of schedule of, uh, uh, 
classes that they needed to be at in, ter- in terms of being assistants and shadowing and learning. And many of them have gone on to continue coaching at other gyms. Some of them were so excited that they would quit their jobs and go open CrossFit gyms, which is, you know, it happens. That's that's fantastic, right? They, they decided to be the professional, um, you know, that they wanted to be. Uh, and so I think I think the the fact that affiliate owners are overworked without full-time coaches is undisputable, absolutely undisputable. It's just the way it is. Uh, uh, whether that can change or not, that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure. Without the model changing to something like um, like a 24 hour fitness or like a big box model, I just don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna really change. All right, number one, where was the what can we do for you? It felt really weird to me that Glassman stood up and talked for well over two hours. It was basically three hours and about his and CrossFit HQ's priorities, yet never once asked the group what HQ could do for us, the loyal clients who have been paying him for 10 plus years. To me, that seems like a logical question to ask. What do you need from us to continue with your affiliation? Had this question been asked Perhaps more of the problems affiliates are facing would have been addressed. Maybe Russ Green, who was planted on the stage directly behind Glassman with no apparent role, might have taken a stab. Then again, maybe not. CrossFit HQ has never promised to help affiliates produce full-time coaches, retain clients, and build profitable businesses as far as I know. Yet, ironically, these are the very things required for owners to keep their affiliation for another 10 years. Still, 300 plus people showed up to Whistler and had a great time. So yeah, there's that. One thing I won't accuse of CrossFit HQ is an inability to throw a great event because that was one hell of a party. It was a fun time. Um, Okay, so she brings up some interesting points here. Uh, The what can we do for you, you know, I wasn't expecting any of of that. Um, Maybe my expectations are like super low. I like to think that my expectations of CrossFit HQ are kind of like on the nose. And I've never once heard CrossFit ever say that they are going to help affiliates with the business side of their business. The The most advice that this that has ever come out, I think, officially was Greg Glassman saying, make sure your bathrooms are clean. And that's more of like a philosophical thing. That's like a make your bed in the morning type thing. Like, you know, you want to make sure that your space is nice. And so... Uh, I wasn't expecting this. However, I I do agree with her on this. You know, CrossFit HQ, this is a quote, has never promised to help affiliates produce full-time coaches, retain clients, and build profitable businesses. Yet, ironically, these are the very things required for owners to keep their affiliation for another 10 years. She's 100% right. Uh, HQ has never helped affiliates do this, not directly not in a, a top-down sort of way by telling them do X, Y, and Z and you'll get X, Y, and Z result, right? Um, and yet these are the really important pieces of what it takes to continue a business and continue growing a business. Uh, and the market has sort of kind of tried to react to this. There are so many different uh, coaching consultation and business consultation uh, spots out there available like you know, you can hire people to come in and take a look at your books and take a look at your coaching and fix you. You can go to seminars and learn about the business side of things and how to market your brand and creating all these things and looking at your 
your demographics of your market and trying to figure out how best to approach them and teach them about what it is you do so that you can get them through the door and then keep them as members for a year or two or four. And, uh, you know, those businesses, as far as I know, there's a, there's a life cycle to those just as there are for CrossFit gyms. You see these different types of, um, consultation businesses pop up and, and go away and, and, you know, get really popular and, and then everyone's following the same thing. And then someone else comes out and I wonder about, um, the efficacy of those things. Uh, some of those just feel like extended versions of the same sort of cheap six week challenges that she's referring to. But producing full-time coaches, retaining clients, and building a profitable business, those are really, those are related. Those are related. Uh, And HQ definitely didn't come out and ask for any sort of input from the affiliate owners, at least not that I saw, uh, about what HQ can be doing better. And I think that's part of their attitude you know, they know what it is they want to be doing. They know what value they're bringing. And the the number one thing that I bring up to Greg Glassman and Russ Green every time that I speak to them is that HQ does a piss poor job of communicating to people, like an absolutely God awful job of communicating to people. It sucks at communicating to its members in terms of the affiliates. It sucks at communicating with the outside world. It just doesn't tell anybody what they're doing uh, in a really effective way. And I think a lot of these problems, these five issues that she brings up could be relatively, maybe not fixed, but at least they can be kind of massaged a little bit. If only there was better communication between CrossFit and its affiliates, right? So that was from Emily Beers. That was five ways that CrossFit may never get fixed on breaking muscle. And in response to this, yesterday, Russ Green produced an article, an article that is taking a stab at Beards' fix, notes on CrossFit's Whistler event. So let's talk about this one. Emily Beers and I both attended CrossFit's 10-year affiliate gathering in Whistler, Canada. We each drew different conclusions, however. For nine years, I have dedicated myself to protecting and promoting CrossFit and its affiliates as a CrossFit Inc. employee. I consider Emily Beers an ally in this effort. Allies. Given her history as a CrossFit affiliate, a former CrossFit HQ writer, and a former CrossFit Games athlete, Beers' experience with the CrossFit revolution likely exceeds mine in scope. Russ is being generous here. Uh, She is definitely more experienced in terms of being an affiliate owner, but he also has been working for CrossFit HQ forever. And uh, he also is a former CrossFit Games athlete from like the 2008 games or something. Seven games? 2007 games, Russ? Which one was it? I don't know. Breaking Muscle published Beers' thoughts on Whistler in the article, Five Ways That CrossFit May Never Get Fixed. Beers posits that serious problems confront the CrossFit affiliate community. And the heart of her critique of CrossFit's event is that these issues either were not raised or not addressed. Quote, and she's quoting uh, uh, Russ, he's quoting Emily Beers' article that we just read. It felt a bit like attending a friend's wedding vow renewal where all the guests were thinking, why are we even here? Where there has been infidelity for the past 10 years and nobody's talking about it. 
Russ continues, what was nobody talking about at Whistler? According to Beers, I suppose myself and other attendees thought there might be a chance for a transparent conversation about the Tarnish brand. Beers is correct that CrossFit's brand has been tarnished. This only raises more questions, though. Who tarnished CrossFit's brand? How did they do so? What was their motivation? Had Beers asked these follow-up questions, which would be familiar to any journalist, that's uh, that's a dig right there. Uh, she would have arrived at an inevitable, inevitable truth. That's a dig, by the way, mainly because she was a journalist for CrossFit Media for eight years. The media's hit pieces that have attacked CrossFit, beginning with 2005's Getting Fit Even If It Kills You onward, have almost universally relied upon publications and or expert opinion from CrossFit's adversaries. That is, they cited representatives and content from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, American College of Sports Medicine, the American Council on Exercise, and other related organizations. Now, this is classic Russ Green, being able to bring just about anything back to the NSCA, the ACSM, and uh, ACE. Now, in this particular case, he he he's right. He's right on the money uh, that... CrossFit has basically been portrayed as this like super elite, we're going to kill you, we're going to make you fitter even if it kills you thing. Um, However, that said, HQ never distanced themselves from that until they realized that it was going to be very, very bad for them if they kept leaning into it. Early on, that was like a point of pride when it came to CrossFit. not in like a every CrossFitter wanted to kill themselves while doing Fran type thing. I mean, maybe you do want to kill yourself while doing Fran, but in the sense that CrossFit was like, it was hard. It was tough. It was dirty. It was gritty. You felt like you got hit by a truck after you were done with the workout. You know, our, uh, your warm up is wait, your, our warm up is your workout. There we go. I got it right. Our warm up is your workout. It was all kind of built on this. We're outsiders. We're rebels. We're the punk rock of fitness. Look at us doing high volume clean and jerks and these uh, wackadoodle pull ups. Isn't that crazy? HQ never distanced itself from that. So even early on, Greg Glassman uh, was, you know, he was like, yeah, CrossFit can kill you, right? That sort of thing. But either way, let's move on. The turning point was the NSCA's 2013 publication of a false 16% injury rate, which they alleged occurred at a CrossFit affiliate. This fraudulent article prompted Outside Magazine to ask, quote, is CrossFit destroying the world on its cover? Prior to the NSCA article, the CrossFit hit pieces were relatively few and reserved in tone, but the NSCA's fake study provided the one element that had been missing, actual quote, science and data. Never mind that the CrossFit affiliate had not injured anyone as the studies subjects and now a federal judge have made perfectly clear. Now, this is an interesting point because it's almost like, again, like I mentioned, HQ never really shied away from that vibe of like, we are, you know, hardcore badasses. You know, we have grandmothers in our, in our, uh, midst, we have, you know, teenagers in our midst, we have games athletes in our midst, we have Navy SEALs and firefighters and police officers and other military people. But every single one of us are hardcore badasses. 
um, and we don't mind being super sore and, and, you know, feeling a lot of pain for our fitness. However, once the NSCA published this 16% injury rate, which by the way, if you haven't read that study, just read the abstract. It's, it's really enlightening because the entire study is actually overwhelmingly positive about how CrossFit as a methodology and as a community and as an affiliate, you know, within the affiliates as a, uh, as a group exercise thing within affiliates is like super good at getting people uh, to lose weight and look better. And then they apparently and actually made up just a fake injury number, which happened to be 16%, which is super, super high. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of problems with that. NSCA is kind of like a competing organization in that they offer their own training certifications and education. Um, and as a whole, the industry was kind of scared of what CrossFit was doing at the time because it was taking trainers away from, you know, uh, or taking clients away from uh, big box gyms. And so it kind of makes sense that they would be, um, in a way, motivated, encouraged to sort of come up with a reason why CrossFit may not be for everybody. Um, and it may be like, you know, killing the world or whatever. And that was where this injury data came from. Uh, Russ Green continues. Is this all too complex for a normal CrossFit trainer to grasp? Is it too hard to realize that regular people are worried about CrossFit because they have read and watched countless media pieces that cited CrossFit's adversaries making false and or baseless injury claims? It is not too complex for Craig Howard. The Diablo CrossFit owner published his notes on Whistler explaining that Greg Glassman, quote, told the story about CrossFit's successful legal battle against the NSCA and ACSM, who fabricated content in a research study that led to the popular and false propaganda that CrossFit is dangerous. And what about CrossFit's NSCA lawsuit? Does Beers acknowledge that CrossFit's increasingly successful litigation is aimed at correcting the record and preventing the CrossFit brand from being further tarnished? Not once. That's actually a really good point. Um, Russ is right here in that CrossFit has spent an ungodly sum of money protecting its affiliates from what seems to be a very small, um, a very small issue, which is like this injury data rate. But that injury data rate has been, uh, you know, used in many, many different ways against CrossFit as a brand, as a whole. And that damages the affiliates directly because like she said in her article, Emily Beers said, the affiliates have to fight against this overwhelming public um, feeling that CrossFit is bad, that it's not good for you. And so a lot of that, according to Russ Green at least, can be traced back to this data. These hit pieces started using this, this fake data. I don't know whether a lot of it can be traced back to that. I think Russ once tried to make the point to me that, you know, CrossFit's affiliate growth was like a hockey stick. And then that, uh, he, he kind of made a a correlation between the false injury data being published. And then that affiliate growth sort of plateauing. I don't know what the relationship is between those things directly, but I can see sort of where the idea that suddenly there's like science quote unquote out there about, you know, CrossFit being injurious or bad for you. 
uh, would stop people from wanting to do it uh, and would get publish, uh, uh, publicized really aggressively. Now, personally speaking, I've been doing CrossFit for like 11 years, 10, 10 years at this point, um, 11 years. And I have not ever gotten hurt. And for a while I was like doing CrossFit like super aggressively. Uh, but you know, I'm not sure you can use like one person's experience across the board. Uh, that's just my experience with it. Okay. Uh, he goes on beers, even belittles Greg's focus on the adversaries who deliberately tarnish the brand quote. She's, he's quoting, uh, Emily beers here quote. He also spent a great deal of time talking about his opposition to and fight with the NSCA, the ACSM, the evils of Gatorade, hyponatremia, and then the nephrologists he loves. What was not addressed were the very real problems CrossFit affiliate owners and coaches face today, problems which have led to countless affiliates to move away from the CrossFit brand and de-affiliate or close their doors entirely. Perhaps Beers does not think it's a very real problem for affiliates that the NSCA, ACA, ACE, and ACSM spread the myth that they are dangerous. That would contradict, though, Beers' previous concern that CrossFit's brand has been harmed. Had Beers acknowledged that CrossFit HQ has spent millions of dollars successfully defending the CrossFit brand against those who wish to defame it, she still could have objected to the approach. She does make the point that, quote, the vast majority of people, some of whom tried CrossFit for a while, have a negative opinion of the CrossFit brand. So even if coaching and programming have improved a ton in the last 10 years, and even if the emphasis has shifted from intensity to health and longevity at many affiliates, the world doesn't know this. So they're staying away from joining a CrossFit gym. Yes. Yes, 100%. The world doesn't know. And as another thing that I bring up to CrossFit all the time, you don't have to have like a media team of like 600 people to produce good marketing materials. And it doesn't have to be like really annoying commercials that run on the radio or, you know, during Sunday night football or something, people don't need that. They don't want that. What affiliate owners want. And most of them I've talked to think that, uh, you know, they kind of agree with this idea is that affiliate owners want to be able to point to something and say, Hey, look, this is what we do, right? They want media that they can point out and say, this is what we do because the affiliate owners are not going to find the budgets because this isn't, this is not, in any affiliates budget to produce like really beautiful, long, uh, long form documentary style storytelling about members who have lost 150 pounds. But HQ can do that and has done that in the past. And actually, you know, the um, killing the fat man series comes to mind. These are stories that are really motivational to the exact populations that CrossFit is now trying to serve. And, And the biggest problem that CrossFit has right now that I mentioned earlier is it just is so god awful at communicating with people. They just need to like get way better at that much faster. And I suggested it directly to Greg Glassman. Hey, why don't you, you know, you don't need like a hundred people to do this. Why don't you have a media crew whose job it is to tell these stories from the affiliates perspective, from inside the affiliates of their members who are doing the exact thing that you're describing happening. And then you can post that, you can share that on CrossFit's YouTube page, on CrossFit's Twitter, on CrossFit.com. And when affiliate owners have the opportunity to market themselves, they can put it on their Facebooks or they can put it on their Instagrams. They can share it with their community and their community be like, oh yeah, that's us. That's what we do. This looks exactly like it. And they can tell their friends and suddenly you have some sort of marketing material. So I, I definitely 
I definitely think that she is right on this, that CrossFit, even though if it has shifted its, its focus to like this health and longevity thing, um, it doesn't tell people that it's doing that. And it's, that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. All right. Uh, Russ Green continues. Beers is right that CrossFit still faces significant challenges. And had Beers argued that lawsuits will not by themselves sufficiently repair the CrossFit brand, I would have agreed. It will take a concerted effort to reposition CrossFit affiliates as safe and effective fitness programs for all age ranges and abilities. This was, by the way, the main subject of Greg's talk. Honestly, kind of the reason, if you have to explain that, uh, that might have that that might be an issue with the talk. Uh, if you have to explain what the main subject of the talk is, like two weeks post talk, that might have been an issue with the talk. But either way, okay. Greg explained his journey towards reorienting CrossFit towards health. He ex- emphasized one apparent result of this reorientation: a slew of positive media stories covering the transformative impact of CrossFit affiliates, with each positive headline shown on the screen behind him. Beers does not mention this positive coverage nor its relation to CrossFit's health message. Yeah, that I I I remember that happening. Um, but again, that was just like I feel like that was one small portion of this thing. Like, yes, CrossFit's uh, reorientation towards like a health focus was kind of what Greg's talk was about, but it wasn't really about like he wasn't really talking about how CrossFit is shifting the conversation around its brand. And I think that's more of what Emily Beers is referring to. She's saying that the conversation around CrossFit's brand needs to be, you know, it just needs to be tuned. It needs to be tweaked. And in a way it actually just needs to happen because right now there again is just not concerted communication coming from HQ in order to be considered, you know, like an official conversation around the brand. I do not think CrossFit Inc is perfect. This is Russ Green still. Uh, 100% agree, bro. In fact, Greg spoke at length about how CrossFit Inc. has learned from past mistakes. Instead of recognizing the work CrossFit is doing to defend its affiliates, though, Beers attempts to paint CrossFit's concern with its reputation and the health of CrossFit affiliate members as divorced from the day-to-day reality of CrossFit affiliates. To support her case, she claims that, quote, Glassman's response to this question, I'm paraphrasing here, was to shrug and say he personally never had a client retention problem, so he didn't know how to fix this because it was never an issue for him. Yes, one member of the audience did ask about retention. And yes, Greg did remark that he had had he had not had that problem. And in parentheses, he says, I can confirm Greg's gym had the opposite problem. Classes were too crowded and we had to work out in the parking lot. All right, we go on. What Beers does not say is that Greg answered the question by first referring it to me and my thoughts on training. Craig Howard aptly summarized my answer, quote, too many athletes trying to move up the fitness pyramid before they are ready, thus becoming frustrated or disappointed. Longer term athletes have a more solid foundation in nutrition and cardio slash endurance and in gymnastics prior to focusing on weightlifting and competition. That is, affiliates that make their clients fitter and healthier by first mastering the base of the pyramid will retain more clients than affiliates that focus too soon on weightlifting and competition. You don't want metabolically unfit members attempting to metcon away their bad diets with two to three wads a day or lifting heavy loads when they cannot yet handle their own body weight. Instead, trainers can and should individually assess their members' present capabilities and limitations, e.g. what they don't want to come out of the hopper. Identify the upstream physiological causes of their functional limitation, the pyramid helps, 
and then prescribe safe and effective interventions to fix these problems, addressing the base of nutrition, conditioning, and gymnastics first. This is not new or original insight, of course, but a return to earlier material, including the virtuosity letter. And I first came to this appreciation after noting that CrossFit.com's 2019 content and programming and its conspicuous focus on the base of the pyramid. And this is what the pyramid looks like. Sport is at the top. Weightlifting and throwing is slightly below that. And then gymnastics below that. Metabolic conditioning below that. And the base of nutrition is below that. Um, Sorry, the base of the pyramid pyramid nutrition is below that. Now, even below the base of the pyramid and nutrition is chalk. It's just lots of chalk. Uh, But either way, this is what the pyramid looks like. And Russ is bringing up this point that he thinks that uh, client retention happens because people are unhappy with the gym affiliate, uh, their experience there, maybe the results they're getting, and that perhaps those negative experiences and the poor results are because the trainers aren't necessarily following this sort of hierarchy of health and wellness, starting with conditioning and nutrition. Um, maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. I don't know how many gyms Russ has uh, uh, consulted for. I don't think he's ever owned a CrossFit gym. I know he's been a member at many, many different CrossFit gyms um, as he sort of traveled around in his role with CrossFit. Um, I don't know how much coaching or training he does either, uh, but I guess it makes sense in a way that you would want to start with nutrition and Metcon. Um, However, there's a sexiness to weightlifting And I think there's a way to sort of like teach new people weightlifting. Uh, You know, there's like a psychological hook to that. If you get people in and the first things you're teaching them are like, we're going to do, you know, some stuff that's going to get you better and we're going to develop a pull-up. And they're going to be like, wow, that's really exciting. We're going to develop a pull-up. But they're going to get really bored of that very quickly. One of the things that CrossFit does exceptionally well, in my opinion, is it kind of hooks that part of your brain that's like, oh, I'm going to learn something today that I haven't done before and I'm going to get better at this skill over time and I can sort of put extra credit into practicing it more and more. And, uh, you know, nutrition is like the most unsexy thing in the world to work on uh, and Metcons are also very, very unsexy. And so it, it kind of makes sense that to sort of entice your members and entice your clients, you kind of teach them, you know, more advanced stuff, or at least give them a taste of something more advanced. Now, it is definitely the trainer's responsibility to make sure that does not get out of hand because it absolutely can get out of hand very quickly. Now, whether that, again, has anything to do with retention, I don't know. To be sure, my answer to the retention question was incomplete. I kicked myself afterwards for not mentioning the community aspect of retention, especially since I consider it one of the three essential components of affected methodology exercise, nutrition, and community. But Beers makes it sound like Greg dodged the question and gave a meager answer. He did not. Greg answered based on his experience, graciously referred to me for my thoughts, and then he provided a supporting example based on his training experience. Beers did not mention any of this. Fortunately, CrossFit Media got it all on tape. Okay, now this part is kind of sounding like a former employee and an, and their uh, former employer kind of having a tiff. Um, and that's weird. Beers remarks that Greg often mentioned but did not define professional training. She does not acknowledge many writings and other publications on the subject which any CrossFit affiliate owner might have read. 
nor does she note that Greg has long recommended that trainers begin with one-on-one instruction first and only expand to group classes when they're able to provide sufficient individual attention to each member. More one-on-one training would also improve trainer compensation as well, a concern that Beards expresses. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, Others in the audience besides Beers seem to have received the message. My personal favorite summation of Whistler came from Jason Keel, owner of CrossFit Jackson, a 12-year-old affiliate. As Keel told Armin Amirian, that's me, quote, a lot of these people have so many similar stories that we have, starting small, growing as you're able, the classman method. I'm hearing that over and over again as I talk to people. As you're able, grow, love your people, and take care of them. Do the right thing, pursue excellence. Everyone that's here did it that way. All these younger affiliates are wondering, what's the method? That's it. That's the method. Arguing with Greg over the past year, as is my want, has taught me this. Greg wants CrossFit HQ to focus on what it alone can do for its affiliates. CrossFit HQ can educate its affiliates on training and nutrition. It can protect them from legal, legislative, and reputational threats. That's very important. And it can validate their practices by uniting medical and scientific authorities who acknowledge the efficacy of their nutrition and exercise methods. True. That's what CrossFit HQ can and will do. What CrossFit HQ will not do is restrict the supply of effective fitness training during our present chronic disease epidemic or otherwise centrally command and control the affiliate community. Why are CrossFit HQ's most vocal critics the same ones who seem to want it to intervene more aggressively in its affiliates' businesses? That, uh, I don't understand that question, but okay. Emily Beers and I both attended the CrossFit affiliate gathering in Whistler. I and others at CrossFit Inc. would have been glad to discuss with her how CrossFit is defending its brand, what we are doing to prevent further tarnishing, how affiliates can retain members over the long haul, and any other CrossFit-related topic. I am sure we would have learned from her experience, and she might have learned from ours, had she just asked. And then a picture of Russ sitting on the stage behind Greg Glassman in front of CrossFit's 10-year-plus affiliates. Quote, an honor I will never forget. So Russ's response to Emily Beers is not like a point-for-point takedown, right? He's not sort of going over everything that she said and saying, well, here's why you're wrong. I think what he's trying to do is maybe fix how terrible CrossFit's communication has been. Uh, this This is kind of... There were definitely some points that were like, oh, you know, you're wrong here because X, Y, and Z. Um, But generally, it seems as if he's, you know, trying to provide a different perspective. If you you just look at what HQ has been doing over the past year and a half, two years in the public eye, um, it makes sense to me that there is a, there's like a, a protection aspect of, of their actions, right? They're trying to sort of rejigger and reconfigure and sort of like reframe what CrossFit's brand is for people. Uh, Greg Glassman even mentioned this at the talk, right? And we all saw it happen on Instagram, which was the moment when instead of it being like super sexy CrossFit games, athletes and all their abs everywhere, it just started being like normal people on the CrossFit Instagram and on the CrossFit games, Instagram and everywhere on CrossFit, you know, Facebook and all this sort of stuff. And then suddenly the, the website shifts and it's like, you know, uh, a grandmother doing dips on a sofa from like the mid sixties. Right. And suddenly 
you start seeing that the the messaging, the brand, the view, the look is very different than it ever has been in the past. And that is 100% purposeful. And I think it makes sense that HQ is doing this. Now, you may not agree with what they're doing, but there's a coherence to their decision-making processes. Uh, everything that they're saying, they don't, it doesn't contradict. They, they really think out what they're doing and there isn't contradictions among their actions and what they say, right? Their behavior and their messaging tends to be in line, at least as far as I've seen. Um, and that coherence, I think, comes from Greg Glassman's philosophical leanings, this idea that HQ's role should not be to take a greater position and a greater place in affiliates' lives or in anybody's life. What it should be doing is sort of shrinking to the background and only taking care of the things that the affiliates themselves can't. Uh, and the the things that Russ brings up here are specifically, you know, the um, education of trainers and licensing of affiliates. He brings up protecting the brand and the affiliates from uh, like legal troubles. And he brings up like educating um, science and medical community uh, to be, you know, aware of how effective CrossFit can be as a methodology to fix, you know, some of the, the dire, dire health problems that are, are, you know, taking over a lot of the, the Western world, a lot, lot like a lot of the U S and developing world. Right. Um, to that, I would add big picture stuff, right? It should be on HQ's shoulders to not just do those things. Again, it should be on their shoulders to communicate those things. It should be their responsibility to tell everyone that they know that this is what's going on. And I think that is something that's like kind of lost in the cracks, right? That's what it's is sort of like, you know, it just gets, it just gets thrown out in, in sort of like the dust that gets like puffed up everywhere, right? The, the communication aspect of telling people what they're doing might be equally important to actually doing the thing. Uh, many affiliate owners, I think, would feel so much better about what CrossFit is doing if they could actually just see it, if they just knew what was going on. Because a lot of affiliates owners are like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what you do with the money that I send you. Tell them. Tell them what you do with the money that affiliate owners sell, send you, right? That, that, that should be HQ's priority going forward is like, we're doing the thing, but we have to tell people what we're doing and why we're doing the thing. And this 10-year affiliate gathering is a good way of starting that. It's a good way of, of, of sort of getting that message out there. But guess what? They Even Russ mentions they have the tape to prove it of the whole talk. Where's the talk? Why hasn't that been published? You know, if that's going to be part of the messaging, have that part of the messaging. You know, make it, make it public so that it's not just these 10-year affiliate owners that have seen it. Um, and I think that really is the crux of, of what's going on here. Many of the problems that Emily Beers brought up in her article are accurate, but are not necessarily attributed to something that HQ has control over or can do anything about, or they're already doing something about it, but from, from their perspective on how to solve the problem, right? It's not CrossFit's Inc.'s fault that consumers have been trained to look for the cheapest option, right? 
in the fitness industry specifically because everything looks like a franchise. And because of that and because of things like, you know, no signing, uh, you know, no signing fee, $5 a month for your entire life uh, deals that you can get at like Planet Fitness or whatever, because of that and, you know, the, the lack of sort of communication about what actually goes on within an affiliate, there isn't a differentiation. And that was one of the things that I, as an affiliate owner, keep leaning on this experience because it was really formative for me. I, as an affiliate owner, really saw as my, my main job. It was educating. It was educating the outer public of what it is that we do and why it's useful. And if they agree, they agree. And if they don't, it's fine. No big deal. And it's educating my members of here's the best way of actually practicing this. Those were the main things that I did. It was education. And the lack of that forward-facing communication really hurts that education front. And I hope that CrossFit can fix that. Either way, folks, this has been going on forever, but there was a lot in there. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, If so, if you did make it all the way back here, wow, like congratulations. You watched this whole thing and you listened to this whole thing. That's pretty sweet. And uh, I really appreciate that. Remember, there's a whole lot going on in our sport and it's easy to miss some of the most interesting and exciting stories. That's what I'm here for. I will see you guys next time.